it's the next level. Arrest here. This is safe. Who are you? This is an energy shield mask, and the amount of energy is limited. My name is Simon. I'm the only survivor from the wreck of an Imperial mission. Are you really? We've been searching for you all through these damned haunted stars. Why? The Emperor's orders were to find the Count's phantom planet and to destroy it. So you know about the monsters? Yes, I do. Well, it's useless. We did not succeed in finding the planet either. And now there's no time left. The cavemen will be waiting for us. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. You know, I've been podcasting now for three years. As a matter of fact, it's three years to the day on July 4th. And it amazes me that I still have the hardest fucking time starting off an episode. I've been attempting to record this episode for the last hour now, and I've had nothing but fuck-ups, tongue-ties, or in, in my first like 20 minutes of trying to record, uh, turn the microphone on. Yeah, seriously. I thought there was something wrong with my computer. I thought there was something wrong with my mixer. Looking all over the place for the problem, and all I needed to do was turn the on switch on the microphone. Three years of podcasting, people, and I'm still a major fucktard when it comes to this stuff. But oh well, whatever. Yeah, that's the cool thing, though. Three years ago. Three years. I suffer from boredom of a lot of things. Seriously, I'll get into something, and two months later, I don't care about it anymore. I even have a hard time keeping up with, like, you know, TV shows that I watch and whatnot. But three years of podcasting, not bad. Hopefully in the next three years, I learn how to start episodes a lot easier than... Because seriously, I struggle with this shit. It's the hardest part of an episode for me. Once I get going, I'm fine. Like you probably noticed, like now I'm just, I'm talking. 
and I don't have a problem with it. But trying to figure out those first like four words without them being what the serious fuck, <laughs> it's like, wow. But whatever. Three years ago, though, man, started the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, and it's evolved to this point. Not that that's saying much, but oh well. Hey, it is what it is, and coming to you live from Studio Zero and the Next Level Network of Podcasts, it's your favorite dumpster dive? No. This is a good, uh, it's a good podcast. It's a good, it, it sells good, right? It sells good? You buy that for a dollar? No? Okay, whatever. But hey, coming to you. From my heart, after three years of podcasting, what lurks behind Podcast Zero? Episode 48. And man, good thing this isn't episode 50. I wouldn't want to mark the 50th episode with this movie. Uh, But yeah, movie review of the week. Ooh, we got a good one, man. It's an epic galactic battle. It's... It's spaceships, it's it's science fiction, it's it's great heroes and villains, it's oh god no, it's not Star Wars, people. <laughs> it is Star Crash from nineteen seventy-nine. Yeah, I know, right? You're like, oh man, what are we are we talking aliens? Are we talking Star Wars? Are we talking Last Starfighter? Nope, Star Crash. But first, before we get into that, I have something I have to announce. This is oh, this is so awesome. I'm so excited to announce this. Okay, so a couple months ago, you guys know I went through really bad funk. Actually, 2019 has been a shitty year all around. But I kind of turned that around just a little bit. Um, I got a new addition to my family. Woohoo, yeah! Um, so, little puppers. Got a new dog. Um, he's not technically a puppy because he's four and a half years old, but he's a puppy in my heart. I love him so much. Here's the interesting thing. So the whole idea of Podcast Zero now has like more meaning to me because the name of my dog is Zero. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. When we, had, we, we got him from the Humane Society, uh, we saw a posting on their website they had a four-year-old beagle, and I was like, oh, he's so cute. I want him. So we decided, yeah, let's go get him. And his name was Manny, which, don't get me wrong, was a cute name. It was a cute name, but it didn't have my flair to it. You ever see Office Space? You got your 15 pieces of flair? Um, yeah. But, no, he. I wanted his name to be something that would reflect me, like reflect my family and whatnot. And... We're all fans of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, you know, Tim Burton's great animated movie. Probably one of his best. Uh, anyways, we're big fans of that movie, and it was like, hmm. You know, what about the name Zero? Because, I mean, prior to Zero, we were... Buddy was the name that came up. Uh, Link from Legend of Zelda. Gozer from Ghostbusters. That was another name. I, well, and that came from... Uh, my mother made a comment about uh, Zool, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not naming my beagle Zool, but Gozer kind of works, you know. Uh, we kind of tossed a, a bunch of names around whatnot, and, you know, like I said, the idea of Zero came to me in the shower of all places. Um, 
I do a lot of good thinking in the shower. I think we all do. Um, but yeah, so I mentioned the name to my sister and we kind of let her have the final decision on what the dog's name would be. Uh, never asked my sister to decide anything because my God, it doesn't go well. <laughs> uh, but she she settled with zero and I'm kind of glad I think the name fits him. He seriously has zero fucks to give in this world. So it's it seriously is a perfect name for him. He's really chill. He's really relaxed. He's adorable. Uh, so, yeah. Good way to end off the week, especially when the beginning of the week, when I was supposed to record this actual episode, that didn't happen because I was cast in the horrible movie Attack of the Killer Allergies. Um, yeah, not an actual movie, uh, but kind of ruins the joke when I have to explain that. Um, anyways, yeah. Uh, oh, it was... I was in bad shape last weekend. I'm still kind of like a little stuffed up and whatnot, but not so bad. It's not a, it's not that bad this weekend, so I'm recording. After an hour of fuck-ups, yep, finally recording this episode. Uh, but yeah, so welcome to my family, Zero the Beagle. He's part of the podcast Zero family. Uh, seri- and that was the funny thing. I didn't even realize that at first. Like, well, obviously, I, I explained to you at the beginning, this is my brain don't work that well all the time. So, but yeah, uh, it was uh, one of my friends kind of pointed out uh, sticking with brand. Are you? And I was like, ooh, you know, I didn't even notice that, that like what lurks behind podcast zero. And I have a dog named zero. And it's like, wow, I have range. Um, yeah, so I'm warning you all now. This is a, a warning early in the episode that next weekend I probably won't be recording. Uh, the reason why? Because of this week's Lurker's Recommendation, which Thursday, July 4th, which will technically be the third year anniversary of me talking into a microphone and hitting record, Stranger Things Season 3 is being released on Netflix and before I come back with the next episode I want to make sure I fully watch that because I am going to give a non-spoilery uh, review on the third season of Stranger Things. Personally I think so far of the two seasons we've had season one is the better season but I did like season two and I'm curious to see where they're going to go with season three so yes next weekend Probably not an episode. Only because, like I said, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to watch this and thoroughly take it in and whatnot. So, but you're, we're, we're here now. We're here now. You're getting an episode now. And yeehaw. I know you can't wait to hear me talk about this fucking movie. It's a movie. It's an Italian movie. Uh, kind of subtitled, I guess you would say. A, a ripoff of Star Wars. Although, eh, yes and no. Um, I'll explain more when I get into the movie review and whatnot. And all the trivia and, you know, showing off my big brain. I ain't got no fucking big brain. But anyways. Yes. Star Crash is the movie review of the week. And we will get to that. I'm going to do the usual little break. Little break. Uh, spare you 30 seconds to a minute of my voice. 
And then when I come back, we'll talk about this awesome, awesome movie that you all must see. It's must see TV. It's must see listening to podcasts. No. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, break time. And then we'll be back. Prepare yourself to enter a strange new world of amazing sights and sounds. Starcraft. From deep space, from the farthest reaches of the haunted universe, comes the supreme galactic spectacle. Starcraft. Rated PG. All right, kids, you ready for this one? Come on now, it's Star Wars meets Barbarella in the ultimate intergalactic adventure. Or not. Ah, whatever. This movie was a lot of fun to watch and research. I don't know, it's kind of, You guys know, I have a soft spot in my heart for bad movies. But I... You know what? Save that for later. Let's just start into the movie. Let's start talking about all the shit you need to know about this movie. Or not really, because do you really need to know about this movie? Well, you're you're tuned in, right? So, without further ado, let's do this shit. Starcraft. Directed by Lewis Coates, not his real name. Uh, no, so the director's name is actually Luigi Cosi, but he went by Lewis Coates when this movie was released. I think because of the North American release for it, more than likely. Although the film debuted in West Germany uh, December 21st, 1978, which I know I said at the beginning of the episode it's a 1979 movie, but. It, that's because the 1979 date was the North American release, March 9th, to be exact. But I see you see this a lot. You know, there's a lot of movies will say, "Oh, it came out in like you know 1963," but it actually came out in '62 at like a film festival or something like that. So I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Lewis Coates, though, uh, aka Luigi Cosi. Uh, he directed films like Contamination, or also known as Alien Contamination, which, for those of you who watched uh, Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, would know that, because that was one of the movies he did this uh, first season on Shudder. Uh, other movies that Lewis Coates did, uh, Hercules in 1983, he did Demon 6, a movie known as Paganini Horror, and he also did the colorization and restoration of the original Godzilla, the one from 1954. But he did, like, his version was released in 1977. So it's interesting how that movie has, like, so many release dates. Like, it's like 19, uh, was it, 54, then again in 56, and then again in 77. Uh, people love their Godzilla movies. Um, moving forward. The screenplay for this movie um, was, I guess you'd say it was written. Uh, the screenplay was written by Louis Coates, Luigi Cosi, and Nat Washberger, along with additional dialogue 
written by R.A. Dillon. And thanks for that additional dialogue, because it probably was all the bad dialogue. Uh, yeah. More on that later. Um, the producers for this film were Nat and Patrick Washburger. Or Wash. It's either Washburger or Washburger. Burgermeister. Uh, no. Um, so if I'm correct, though, uh, Nat is the father and Patrick was the son. It was a father and son combo that produced this movie. Uh, the cinematography is by Paul Beeson and Robert Detour Piazzolo. Zol- Piazzoli. Never let me into Italy. They'd probably shoot me for the mispronunciations of their names. Uh, but yes, yeah, so Paul Beeson and Robert Detour. That's actually how he went. In the movie, he's known as Robert Detour. Um, that's how he was credited. Uh, they both worked on other films. Let's let's move past my mispronunciations. Uh, Paul Beeson worked on films like uh, the original trilogy of Indiana Jones films, so Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade. He worked on those. Uh, he also worked on Willow, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, Alien 3. Uh, most of the time, it w- he was credited as an additional photographer. Uh, and then Robert Detour, he worked on films like Madhouse, uh, The Curse 2, Piranha 2, and No Place to Hide in 1992. And No Place to Hide, I believe, is the film with Drew Barrymore. Uh, so, yeah, they both did better films than this. Um, the music. Oh, the music. The music is amazing in this movie. I'm going to say that now. But the music uh, is done by the legendary John Barry. John Barry did a lot of James, James Bond films. Uh, but he also did uh, King Kong in 1976. He did The Black Hole in 1979. Um, Octopussy and A View to Kill. Uh, I wrote those down. He also did uh, the film Jagged Edge, which was with Jeff Bridges, if I'm correct. Uh, Dances with Wolves. Uh, Kevin Costner uh, was in that movie. Uh, oh, hey, wait, look at this. John Barry did the score to Howard the Duck. Eat shit, motherfuckers. That's awesome. I love Howard the Duck. I know I'm like in a world all my own on that one, but I love Howard the Duck. Um, John Barry had 123 composer credits to his name uh, before he passed away in 2011. I'll be talking a bit more about the music score as we move on, uh, but I do want to get to our amazing star and cast because seriously, when you hear the names attached to this film, you would expect this film to be like stellar kick-ass. Uh, stellar. Ooh, wait. Yeah. Carolyn Monroe. We'll start off with her. She's gorgeous, by the way. I, I have to say this. She's a beautiful woman. Um, but her character's name was Stella Starr. And that's why I kind of said Stellar. Hey. All right. Um, anyways. Wow. I'm not funny. I know. Uh, <laughs> anyways, Carolyn Monroe. Uh, she's our sexy uh, lead female in the in the film play Stella Star. Uh, she was in a lot of other films, though. A lot of good ones, too. Uh, like Dracula AD 1972. <laughs> Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, that's a good if, if you like your James Bond films, that's a good one. Uh, Maniac. The Last Horror Film. Don't Open Till Christmas. Yeah, I said that. Um, Slaughter High, which is a personal favorite of mine. I love that movie. Uh, she was also in Demon 6. In a movie called Cute Little Buggers. I haven't seen that yet, but I 
do have it marked. I want to watch that movie. And recently, House of the Gorgon. Uh, our may uh, or, yeah, okay. I guess you call him the male lead, uh, Marjo Gortner as Acton. Um, he did a lot of TV work. He's more a TV star than he was a film star. Uh, but he was in a horror film in 1983, um, kind of popular amongst horror fans, a uh, mausoleum. He was in that, but he did a lot of TV work, uh, for shows like street Hawk police story, Barnaby Jones, fantasy Island, airwolf. Airwolf was a good one. Uh, TJ hooker, the a team. Ooh, yeah. Love the a team and Falcon crest. I never watched Falcon crest. I'll honestly admit that right now. So, our really big star in this film, kind of, um, <laughs> I say kind of for a reason, uh, Christopher Plummer is the emperor of the universe in this movie. 215 acting credits to this man's name. He's like up there with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, man. Like, just never stopped acting. Uh, obviously, most people know him from The Sound of Music. Uh, yes, he's uh, Von Trapp. He's he's the male lead. He's the one that falls in love with Julie Andrews' character. Uh, yes, he was in The Sound of Music. He was also in The Return of the Pink Panther. He was in Dreamscape. Uh, Amer- An American Tale. I almost said American Tale, which is the same thing. Whatever. Uh, but like Little Five of the Mouse. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, he was in that. Uh, he's in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, Malcolm X. He was in the movie Wolf. I believe Wolf is the one with uh, Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, He was in the Stephen King adaptation for Dolores Claiborne, 12 Monkeys, Dracula 2000. Not really a good movie, but whatever. Uh, He was in A Beautiful Mind and The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And like like I said, 215 acting credits. I'm barely even scraping the surface on that. Oh, here's one you're going to love. Okay, so this was basically his big film debut. Oh, and this guy is a kick-ass actor. He is great. There is no level of cheese to this man's acting. Bullshit. David Hasselhoff is in this fucking movie. Yes, right there. That's one of the points that's worth the price of admission. You know what's even even better is this is one of the films where he's not dialing it in. Uh, he's one of the better actors in this movie. Ugh. Okay. Anyways, he plays Prince Simon. Uh, where have we seen the Hoff before? Oh, come on. Like, seriously, I have to do this? Of course I'm going to do this. But we know him from Rider Knight. Oh, I'm kidding. I know. It's Knight Rider. I'm not an idiot. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, I say that loosely. Um, but he, yes, Knight Rider. Uh, he was in the movie uh, Witchery from 1988. Uh, which is, I didn't get the, it's an Italian movie and it has an Italian title. I didn't write that down. Um, Baywatch, of course, obviously. He was uh, in the TV movie Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which, you know, when I was trying to think about it, I don't think I've actually seen that. I know of it and I've seen clips of it, but I don't think I've seen the full movie. It's, well, 
Either way, I'll, I'll eventually watch it. With the internet these days, there's no movie out of my reach. Uh, <laughs> he was in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and I saw that at the theaters, and I remember when I saw him on the screen, I was like, what the fuck? It was awesome, though. I loved it. Um, he's in the movie Click with Adam Sandler. Eh, whatever. Uh, Piranha 3DD. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Of course. But that was like mere cameo. I don't even think he had like three seconds on the screen. Uh, let's see what else. Sharknado 4. And of course, for those of us who love our cheese and our B-movies and whatnot, Kung Fury. Yeah, he was the voice of Hoff 9000. And he will be returning in Kung Fury 2 as Hoff 9000. I love that they called him Hoff 9000 because like I'm a... I know. It, some people don't like the movie. I love the movie myself. Uh, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I love the idea of HAL 9000. And, you know, having David Hasselhoff be Hoff 9000, I thought was really fucking cool. I know I'm... Whatever. It, little things amuse me. Whatever. Um, moving on. Moving forward with our cast. Robert Tessier as Chief Thor. And he's... Again, he was a... a He's been in a few movies, but he, again, more known for his TV roles. The movies he's been in, though, uh, The Velvet Vampire, The Longest Yard in 1974. He was in The Sword and the Sorcerer. That movie keeps coming up. <laughs> I'm eventually going to have to just do it as an episode, but whatever. And he was in the movie Fists of Steel. Again, like I said, best known for TV roles. And he was in like really good shows like Starsky and Hutch. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, The Dukes of Hazard, The Incredible Hulk, Chips, Fantasy Island, The A-Team, Silver, Silver Spoons, The Fall Guy, and Sledgehammer, which I, if you remember Sledgehammer, that all oh, that that show was fucking funny. Um, okay, so I want to move on, though. I know I kind of like threw out all those TV shows and I'm like, okay, bye, Robert. We'll see you later. But yeah, Chief Thor, he's a fun character, but... The reason why I want to move ahead is because my next uh, next actor that I want to mention here might be one of the highlights why we watch this movie. Joe Spinell as Count Zarth Arn. Yeah, seriously, that's his name. I'm not lying. Count Zarth Arn. Uh, so a lot of people would know him from Rocky, the Rocky films, Rocky 1 and 2 specifically. He was like... Uh, the, the lone shark that Rocky was working for and whatnot. He's in that. Uh, he was in Taxi Driver. He was in The Godfather, uh, Parts 1 and 2. Paradise Alley, another movie with Sylvester Stallone. He was in The Ninth Configuration, Night Shift, uh, Married to the Mob. And then he was in Maniac from, I believe that was 1980. And the last horror film. And the reason why I mentioned both of those is because he worked with Carolyn Monroe in both of those films. So, do-do-do, comes full circle. Uh, finally, Nadia Cassini as Queen Corellia. And she didn't act in a lot of movies. Uh, she had 26 acting credits, but mostly most of them were like Italian films that I was not going to pretend I could pronunciate. So <laughs> I wrote down the ones that are you know, English titles, which is basically The Divorce, Pulp, and Star Crash. Um, but like I said, she had 26 acting credits, but a lot of Italian films, and I was not about to start butchering titles, so I kind of omitted those from my list. Um, 
I also want to point out, okay, so this is an Italian film. For those of you who are not familiar with Italian cinema, especially in the 70s and 80s, whatnot, a lot of the times, even though the roles were English-speaking roles or they were played by American actors or Canadian actors or whatever, they would always voice dub. Voice dubbing was very, very common with Italian films. So, though... Carolyn Monroe plays Stella Starr and she's speaking English in the movie and whatnot. They had someone voice dub her acting, which is really stupid because you should just use Carolyn Monroe's voice. But anyways, her voice actor was Candy Clark. Candy Clark played Buffy's mom in the 1992 movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer, amongst other films. She's been in other films as well. At the same time, though, when Star Crash was being filmed and released, she, Candy Clark, was married to Marjo Gortner. So I guess that was his way of getting his wife into the film, but whatever. It's one of those things with Italian films, and you'll notice it a lot if you watch, like, you know, a lot of the Fulci films and Argentos and whatnot. Even if someone was speaking English, they redubbed their voice. Uh, Joe Spinell even redubbed his own voice. It's kind of weird, and I'll talk more about that in a, in a bit. But yeah, so Carolyn Monroe, we get to look at her. We get to fall in love with her, but it's not her voice we're hearing. Kind of a bummer. But anyways, moving on to the synopsis of the film. Oh, here we go. So I'm going to try to bring some pizzazz to this, as I have been the last couple weeks. I'll probably fuck this up, but eh, whatever. I'm not going to stop, and you know, if I stutter a lot, maybe I should be the stuttering synopsis reader. Well, that would be kind of cool, right? Because that's got its own spin, right? It'd be very annoying very fast. Anyways, and oh, I've kind of added a few things to this synopsis because it was kind of quick, which probably would have been better for the listener, but I don't know. I kind of tweaked a few words in it. But anyways, in this ripoff of the great Star Wars film of 1977, Outlaw smugglers Stella Starr and Acton manage to pick up a castaway while running from the authorities. The castaway turns out to be the only survivor from a secret mission to destroy a mysterious superweapon designed by the evil Count Zarth Arn. The smugglers are soon recruited by the Emperor of the Galaxy to complete the mission, as well as to rescue the Emperor's son who has gone missing. Hey, look at that. I didn't fuck that up. Awesome. <coughs> Moving on. Uh, but yeah, that's the synopsis. I'll talk more about it in a bit, but I, this movie gets unfairly called a Star Wars ripoff. There's more to it than just Star Wars, but I'll talk about that as I move on with my notes, whatever. Uh, the budget for the film was $4 million. The gross profit for the film, and this took me a while to find. Fuck, it was not easy. But apparently at the American box office, it raked in $478,000. When you think about the quality of the film and the fact that this film has more a cult status now, but is not considered a good movie, that's pretty impressive. Um, so a point to be emphasized on when I'm talking about this, and this is something that you'll notice it, it, it kind of comes up, uh, uh, it's recurring is the fact that after the success of Star Wars, many knockoff science fiction films were made worldwide. 
to cash in on the hype. And it was happening everywhere. It was happening in Russia, Italy, uh, France, I believe, had one. Spain had one. Like, like all over the world, people were making sci-fi films that were supposed to be like knockoff Star Wars films. And it's kind of I bring that point up because it's kind of interesting how like in current era, you know, in the 2010s to 2019 era here, we seem to be living off of horror movie remakes or comic book superhero movies like they, they come out in droves. And so when Star Wars came out, there was a shit ton of sci fi films, films like Ice Pirates, Space Raiders, Galaxina, Space Hunter 3D, Saturn 3. Forbidden World, Battle Beyond the Stars, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. There were a lot of films that were coming out, and Star Crash was part of that follow-up after Star Wars. Uh, however, in an interview with Variety magazine, the director, Luigi Cosi, he said that a lot of people assumed that Star Crash was an attempt to capitalize on you know, that popularity of Star Wars. According to him, though, the the script and the 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 idea of Star Crash were developed even before Star Wars was released. Um, he said he had all he had this idea all in his head and whatnot. Um, what like before Star Wars even came out, he hadn't even seen Star Wars. Now that's according to him, and he's saying that the producers Nat Washberger and his son Patrick that when when they took on the film when they said they would produce the film and put it out and whatnot that they wanted him to alter you know like add bits to his script to cash in on the star wars thing according to him he's claiming he didn't even see star wars when he wrote this <sighs> this it's it, it's one of those things where it could go one way or the other i mean can we really prove that he didn't see Star Wars, tough to say. And we do, like, we know, we we as fans, we know studios always interfere with films. They've interfe- interfered with, like, some of the better ones and some of the not-so-good ones and whatnot. But there's always a studio that says, well, I want you to do this, or I want you to do that, or I want... Hopefully, what he's saying is truth, but it's really tough to say. But I'll focus more on that as I'm going along. Like I said, it's going to be a recurring point that I'll, I'll, you know, I'll hit at whatnot. In 2015, though, Star Crash was chosen by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the 50 best sci-fi movies from the 70s. Um, if they had said 50 best all time, I would have been impressed. But saying you know 50 best sci-fi films from just the 1970s, as much as there was a lot of sci-fi, there was a lot of bad sci-fi. So. Eh, take it, take it or leave it with a grain of salt. Whatever. I mean, the the film was featured on Mystery Science Theater three thousand uh, in twenty seventeen when they had the the kind of the you know reboot or revival of MST three K. So, <laughs> uh, you okay? Let's put it this way: you make it to MST three K, you're a bad movie, but you're being noticed. That's kind of good. In you know, that's good for. Star Crash, whatever. Star Crash does has a, does have a cult following. I, I can't deny that. I'm one of them. Um, the score for Star Crash was composed and conducted by uh, John Barry. I mentioned that earlier, and John Barry was uh, very well known for James Bond themes, whatnot. Uh, the soundtrack was given a limited release, uh, fifteen hundred copies uh, through BCX Records in December of two thousand eight. 
And you can also listen to it on Spotify. And I specifically checked that last night. It is on Spotify, as well as I believe iTunes and whatnot. And it's on YouTube. You can stream the whole thing on YouTube as well. Um, the funny thing about this, though, the 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 whole idea of John Barry, you know, a, a well-established composer composing for a not-so-well-established film. Uh, the filmmakers didn't want him to see the movie because they were afraid he'd quit. And they couldn't, like, they were, like, really happy they got him. And, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about that. It's like, oh, all right, well, they didn't tell him the whole truth. Um, Luigi Cosi describes Star Crash as science fantasy. He doesn't call it science fiction. Um, again, he, he, it's funny because he likes to twist things. I mean, he's saying, you know, he thought of this before he saw star wars um and so yeah he's gonna twist the genre as well science fantasy though actually does kind of fit i'm not i i shouldn't pick on the dude for that because it does kind of fit when you actually watch this movie uh but okay so he, certain things like here's something that like you know that that opening shot in the film you see you know a smaller ship fleeing from a bigger ship and they have like that that extended uh, scene from like you're like looking from underneath the ship as it's flying overhead and whatnot. They do that as well. Um, I thought this was a kind of cool little thing though. Is like inside the ship, you hear over the loudspeaker. It says uh, something like uh, "Major Bradbury, come to the bridge," um, which is like I took it as like a nod to Ray Bradbury, who is a big sci-fi author and creator and whatnot. So. It's kind of cool. I, it seems, and we saw this years later with Mel Brooks doing Spaceballs and whatnot. You wonder how much of it is homage, how much of it is ripoff and whatnot. Um, and then, of course, like, okay, so Christopher Plummer, I'll be talking about him as well. But he he was interesting because, like, he was all excited to do this movie just because it was in Rome, Italy. That's where they filmed the movie. It was in Rome. Uh, and he had some quote when he was asked about the movie of Star Crash. He said something like, give me Rome any day. <laughs> He'd do a porno in Rome um, as long as he could be in Rome. Uh, great, get, getting to Rome was the greatest thing that happened in that for me. He, what, he was not happy to be in this movie. He was happy to be in the city of Rome. <laughs> um and there's reports either he either filmed his his scenes in one day or three days. I, I'm not really sure. I believe it was uh, he was in Rome for three days or whatever. But uh, there's reports that he literally re he filmed all his scenes in one day. Um, it's kind of like Donald Pleasance, though. If I remember correctly, Donald Pleasance, when he filmed the first Halloween, he was only there for like six days of the filming and then he was gone. So. Here's an interesting point, though. So let's just say for a fact, let, let's say that this movie is a Star Wars ripoff. Then gender swapping anybody um, in 1977 to 79. Be, but who did it first? Who who honestly did it first? Now, here's here's something I throw out there is that Luigi Cosi is saying that he didn't know about Star Wars, that he created his film prior with like prior to having knowledge of Star Wars. So did George Lucas rip him off then? Probably not, but whatever. Um, George Lucas himself even said like his whole idea of Star Wars and the whole space opera thing was an homage to science fiction films and shows he grew up with. So it, art begets art. Let, let's put it that way. Um, but who did this first? 
Because Stella Star, who's the female character, who would be like kind of like the Princess Leia character, is actually more like Han Solo in this film. Whereas Prince Simon, who is the character played by David Hasselhoff, is he Princess Leia? Um, but, you know, like, it's the whole idea of if Kazi's film was thought of before Star Wars, why does it seem like these roles are almost gender swapped? But then again, he claims that the producers, you know, you get what I'm saying. This argument could go back and forth either way. Um, And then, of course, there's the character of L, who was played by Judd Hamilton. Judd Hamilton's character of L is is a droid. It's a it's a robot, a police droid. And seems kind of like the C-3PO of the film. Uh, but he's he's not like golden or anything like that or whatever. He's got some really bad dialogue, which I'll touch on in just a couple moments. But um, I mean, the, the fucking dialogue. Holy shit. It, the dialogue is what really hurts this movie. But um, I, I, again, like it, I it, OK, you know what? Avoid the whole Star Wars thing. This movie doesn't just quote unquote rip off of Star Wars. It's like taking Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, a hint of Mork and Mindy, and maybe elements of Lost in Space all thrown in together. Think Spaceballs, except that this wasn't trying to be funny. Um, I, I guess the reason why I'm highlighting this is because so many reports and so many reviews I was reading over like the, the last couple days on this seem to focus on Star Wars. And yes, I get it. Trust me. Um, uh, Marjo Gortner's character. There's there's a reason why the, a lot of people aim to Star Wars. But I was watching this, and it was like just watching, especially like I grew up as a kid watching Buck Rogers. I loved Buck Rogers when I was growing up, and I saw a lot of that in this movie. Uh, more can Mindy, obviously not so much the Mindy character, except that Carolyn Monroe looks maybe a little bit like um, was her name Pam Dauber, I believe, played Mindy. Um, they look sort of similar, but I mean like more like the, the Mork idea, you know, Robin Williams character looks like he would fit in, in star crash. Um, but I, 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 that was something I, I just kind of wanted to like hit on for a second. There is that as much as people say it's a star Wars ripoff, I say this is more like just a science fiction quote unquote ripoff. And even at that, I don't know if I consider it as a ripoff or more just an homage, uh, speaking of the dialogue, though. Okay, so the dialogue in this fucking movie is god-awful atrocious to the point where either you will roll your eyes and turn the movie off 10 minutes in or you will sit through the 93 minutes, I think it is, 93 or 92 minutes long, and you will laugh your ass off. Like, I mean, for example, like uh, Count Zarth Arn, played by Joe Spinell. At one point, he says something like, by sunset, I'll be the new emperor. And I will be the master of the whole universe. Um, hold on. You're in space. How the fuck does the sun set in space? Like, you're not on Earth. It's not like, you know, you're on a rotating axis or anything like that. How the fuck do you have a sunset in space? In space? Like, I don't know. It, it's just weird. And then L's character. Holy shit. Like, okay. So there's like one point where L is like, I only have logic and emotion circuits. No room for craziness. Who... Who thinks that shit up? Or, like, okay, keep in mind, L is the robot. L is the robot. And it's like, it's so nice to be turned on again. Um, What? Wait. 
I, I, I don't know. Speaking of technology, Stella Star with her, these are pre-programmed computers. They will run forever. What makes you think a computer will run forever just because it's pre-programmed? I mean, eventually the fucking thing is going to die out. We all know that computers die out, but I mean, yes, okay, I get it. Space and science fiction and all that other shit. Um, there was one point where, like, there's a conversation between Stella Star and Acton, and she's talking about, so you see into the future, all these years you never told me, think of all the trouble I might have avoided. And he's like, well, if you would have tried to change the, fiction, uh, the future, which is against the law, so therefore I can tell you nothing. It's like, um, he could have told her that he could see into the future. He just couldn't tell her the future. But I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of dialogue, I mean, like, okay, Christopher Plummer. Like, and again, this is kind of where uh, it, the budget for this film was $4 million. And I swear $3 million of it went to him for him to completely underdial it. Yes, he underdialed it. He did not dial it up. It, it, at points in, the, in his dialogue, it seems like he's literally just talking like this because he feels like it because okay you're paying me to sit here i'm gonna pretend to be this emperor that i don't care to be i'm wearing this silly robe and i'll just read my dialogue like this seriously that's how he presented himself in this movie he's actually one of the more painful parts of this movie and you would think like christopher Plummer, we're talking chris Plummer here like the dude was in the sound of music he's an award-winning actor and yeah. All right. Anyways, and then there's Joe Spinell. Okay, we'll return back to him for a bit. Count Zarth Arn. Zarth, as in Darth. Um. Again, which came first? <laughs> um. And with that said, like, why is he dressed up as a Walmart devil costume cosplayer? Seriously, he looks like it's like a bad representation of Beelzebub, and. I, I don't know how you take this villain seriously. Like, the whole time you're watching it, you're just laughing at him. It's like, what are you, Satan Vader? Darth Satan? Darth Beelzebub? Beezlebub? Um, Count Lucifer? I don't know, Darth Asmodeus? Like, it's just, it's so goofy and wonky looking. And it's like, he's like in full red and black. And it's like, okay, that's like cartoon Satan. That's like, I don't know. It, but it's Joe Spinell. So you watch it because you love it because it's like Joe Spinell. Come on. He's 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 the 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 loan shark in Rocky. He's in he's in the mob. He's he's fuck, he's in Maniac, which is a great fucking horror movie. Like it's Joe Spinell. You love him, but uh I don't know. They probably paid him the other million. Um no. They couldn't have because they had to pay for all these major special effects, which I'm coming to that in a moment. Okay, so, and then I mentioned about Marjo Gortner, of course, as Acton. Um, he's he's Stella's sidekick. Um, he's apparently human in appearance, but he has mystical powers. He's, he, and he can restore people to life. He's like a necromancer or something. So, my thing is, is, is he one with the Force, or is he a Jedi? Because he fights with a laser sword, not a lightsaber. A laser sword. He fights with a laser sword. So is he a Jedi? No, he must be one with the Force. Hmm. Didn't we see a Star Wars movie that said that someone was one with the Force? Um, that came years later, of course, so whatever. But yeah, he's like a, a necromantic Jedi, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, when they were 
creating the character of Acton, like, you know, coming up with his look and whatnot. He was actually supposed to be a grotesque alien, but Gortner refused to wear any makeup. He might, like, wear, like, a bit of eyeliner or something just, like, you know, to present his features on the screen and whatnot, but he would not wear any heavy makeup whatsoever. Must be nice, you know, to just walk into your job and tell your boss what you're going to (laughs) do. I wish I could do that. But anyways, but like I said, you got to love that. A laser sword. Mm, Okay. That's not like Star Wars at all. Um, however, I will say, and I, now I want to kind of talk about the, the effects and the aesthetic of this film. I One thing I, I loved, and I, I see a lot of people picking on it on the internet and whatnot, but I personally loved it. I loved the idea that the stars were all different colors. When they're flying through space, like they actually have like reds and blues and greens. And yeah, okay, it looks like Christmas lights. But I like the idea that the stars weren't just white. So many movies you watch, so many movies, you'll see that stars are white. And I get it, okay, probably, you know, scientifically proven whatnot. I don't care. I like the idea that Star Crash decided to do it differently. We are going to have colorful stars in the sky. It, I like that. It worked for me. A lot of creativity, passion was put into the look of the sets. But at the same time, you know this is a low-budget film. Like I said, $3 million of this probably went to Christopher Plummer. So they have a million left to play with, and they got to pay the other actors. So it's a low-budget film. It gives off low-budget appearances. Yes, the sets are not that great, but you can tell they at least tried. I give them that. I, you know, The movie is no exception. It, it is a low-budget film. It looks low-budget. But I give it credit for trying. Okay, I give it that much. I mean, some of these rooms are in, no, not good. But then again, like I said, I grew up with schlocky science fiction. I grew up with, you know, your Godzillas and your Buck Rogers and your Flash Gordons. I watched all that shit as a kid. I didn't mind it then. I don't mind it now. Um, Not everything needs to look like, uh, you know, Event Horizon and, you know, fucking Star Trek and shit like that. Which even at, at, in Star Trek's first, you know, resemblance on the screen come on now back in the days that tv series that wasn't the greatest either you could tell those sets some of them were pretty fucking bad too so whatever um roger corman i I spoke about roger corman now granted he didn't technically produce this film or anything but he did pick it up and he wanted to distribute it he distributed it to see if there was a market that existed for this because of this film he went on to direct battle beyond the stars um, he was uncredited, but apparently he did direct that. Um, and Battle Beyond the Stars, I believe, was in 1980. That's a film with John Saxon, George Pappard, and Robert Vaughn. Um, and I haven't seen that movie in so many years after I was researching this. I'm like, I am watching Battle Beyond the Stars uh, this week at, at some point because it, it's classic. I love it. Um, but speaking in speaking of Star Crash, you know, the, the film was originally made for American International Pictures. But after they saw the final cut, they were like, eh-eh, we're not releasing this garbage. So Roger Corman picked it up and released it through New World Pictures. And that's awesome because this movie existed because of Roger Corman. And this film also helped Roger Corman, you know, decide to do Battle Beyond the Stars. So that's really awesome. Speaking about Carolyn Monroe, quickly... And I, I almost done my notes here, guys. So I wrote a lot down. This movie has so much to talk about. It's really awesome. But Carolyn Monroe, um, she was uh, Kazi's uh, Luigi Kazi's 
only choice to play Stella Star. Um, he, as he wrote this, he had her in mind. He was going for her the whole time. She did her own stunts in this movie, at least most of them. Um, same with David Hasselhoff, actually, which is really cool. Like, you know, Carolyn Monroe by this point had been acting for a while. So, I mean, seeing a sort of established actor do their own stunts is pretty impressive. David Hasselhoff was that up and coming actor. Who's like, I need to make a name. It's cool that they both did their own stunts and both are like very well-known actors in, you know, in the acting community. Even if David Hasselhoff is kind of a joke, I mean, but he he has fun with it himself, and that I love. It's kind of like Adam West for that. You know, they realized instead of going against the grain all the time, just go with it and have fun with it, and that's awesome. Um, Carolyn Monroe. Okay, so here's the thing about Star Crash as well is the whole idea of the costume design. Her costume, yes. In today's day, this movie would not float. Uh, it's kind of like the quote-unquote Slave Leia suit um, from um, uh, Return of the Jedi. Sorry, I almost said Empire Strikes Back. No! Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, very skimpy. Uh, she was originally, uh, Carolyn Monroe was supposed to wear a skimpy bikini, basically like a leather bikini outfit throughout the whole entire film. The whole film she was supposed to be dressed like that. I personally am kind of glad they didn't do that. I know you're saying, what are you, is there something wrong with you? No, 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 don't get me wrong. But I like that they changed up her costumes is what I'm saying. Um, and the reason why was the American studios, uh, like the executives from uh, New World Pictures and whatnot, they kind of insisted that she had different clothing, especially in the second half of the film, because get this, hold on. Okay, it's not because they wanted her to have different costumes. It's not because they thought, hey, give her a better look or to maybe not have her almost completely naked throughout the whole movie. No, they were worried about broadcast television networks. We won't be able to air this on TV. That's what they were fucking worried about. Typical studios. It's fucking bullshit. Her acting? Okay. Yes, it's it's not good. It's less than decent. She's not, you can tell... In terms of the acting, she wasn't trying. But I think she also knew going into this, and especially, like, she sees her costume. She knows. There is no male who's going to watch this for her acting. Come on now. Every fucking teenager that saw this in 1979 or 1980 had a fucking heart on, and we fucking know that shit. Um, She's gorgeous. There is no way that some, like, teenage boy is watching this movie going, well, you know, her acting was really not that... I wish she would have stepped it up and not... Fuck that shit. You know damn well what they were doing, especially once they got their fucking VHS release of this. Um, yeah, I'm sure there were lines at certain parts in the film where she was because of them rewinding and playing over and over. Carolyn Monroe, Joe Spinell. Yes, both of them were in the movie Maniac and Last Horror Film. I already mentioned that. Why, why the f- Arg! Sometimes I, I don't realize that I kind of repeat my notes, whatever. Um, so, Joe Spinell, I mentioned about the dubbing. Okay, so Candy Clark was, you know, Stella Starr's voice. Joe Spinell was actually his own voice. You'd never know it, though, because he had to, he, he redubbed his own voice. And he tried to have a different accent so he wouldn't sound like he was from New York. Okay. It is what it is. I Yeah, whatever. Um, Shout Factory did release this film in 2010 on Blu-ray. 
It's on Blu-ray and DVD as part of the Roger Corman's cult classic series. Uh, but like I said, if you want to watch this, if you're curious what it is I'm talking about here, you can watch it for free on YouTube in standard definition or on Tubi TV in high definition. Uh, you can watch it for free. So do that first before you buy this movie, just in case, because you may be like, eh, what the fuck did I waste 31 Canadian dollars on? Yes, it's $31 in Canada. I think in the States it's like 25 or something like that. Whatever. Um, it's time to wrap this shit up, though. IMDb gives this movie a 3.9 out of 10. Ouch. Rotten Tomatoes has it sitting at a very low 33% approval rating. Ouch. However, Google users, when you Google this, it'll say, like, Google users like this film so much. Uh, 58% of Google users love this film. Yeah, they're probably the only people that are searching for it. Uh, R.L. Schaefer, though, of IGN. I like IGN sometimes. Sometimes they're good. Uh, don't look to them to uh, rate TV shows, though. They're not good at it. But rating movies, well, he gave this rating a 10 out of 10. He declared it the single greatest sci-fi camp fest ever put on celluloid. And put it in a league with cult classics like Ricky O, The Story of Ricky, The Room, and Oh God, Troll 2. Um, yeah, so the podcast zero rating for this film. What do I put it at? Well, I put it at a 5 out of 10. However, I'm giving it an extra point. An extra point for dun, 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 the breaststroke scene. Yes. So, there is a scene, kids. This happens in this movie. Okay. Stella Star has to escape a ship. And how does she escape the ship? She jumps out the window and does the breaststroke in space. I am not fucking lying. This happens. It is worth the price of fucking admission. Oh my God. This movie. Yes. Bad dialogue. Yes. It, it's got bad dialogue. It's Satan Vader. <laughs> yes. It has that too. Chris Plummer giving a no fucks given performance yes that's in that too light swords and you know prince valium like done hof style yes but the fucking breaststroke in space done by the gorgeous stella star sold it gets an extra point for that the movie is a six out of ten technically a five out of ten but the breaststroke alone uh, that was fucking hilarious i seriously hurt myself laughing the first time I saw that that scene. And I saw the the first time I saw this movie, I should say that, I saw it, I think it was about two years ago. And I stumbled on it on YouTube of all places. And I was like, Star Crash. And of course I'm reading the comments because what do you do? You read comments. You want to see other idiots talk about movies just like you do. Um, so I'm like reading the comments and whatnot. And I see like all these people referring to Star Wars things. And I'm like, okay. Let's give it a whirl. And I mean, like I said, like on YouTube, it's not the best quality. It was kind of, you know, grainy and whatnot, but I didn't care. I was like, I'm not paying for this. And this movie is supposed to be not that good. So why do I want like, you know, HD for a not so good movie? And then the breaststroke scene happened where she is literally swimming in space. I, my ribs were sore after watching that. I was laughing so hard. Yes. Like I said, all, all the other shit, the bad dialogue, the light swords, fucking their version of prince valium everything it, it, it was so bad but then i saw that and i was like oh my god this movie is gold so yes you want to see a woman swimming in space fucking turn on star crash 
And on that note, it is time for me to say thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of What Lurks Behind Podcast. My puppy zero. Yes, my puppy zero. Um, I stumbled on that too. Whatever. Fuck off. I don't care. I have a bad habit of stumbling on my words. My throat's really dry too. I need a drink. But hey, I'm going to tell you where you can find the podcast. I'm going to tell you where to subscribe, where to look, how you can contact me. Then I'm going to tell you the next episode, and then we're going to close out this show because I'm sure you all are sick of me by now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But hey, so where to find the podcast, this great, awesome audio experience that you tune into every week or every other week. Like I said, next episode, probably two weeks from now. So I'm telling you that now. Okay, Don't get mad at me. Jeez. I can feel your wrath. You're fucking burning at me. I just want to kill me i get it whatever piss off the next level network.com that's where you can find the podcast um yeah so the next level network.com there's a bunch of other podcasts on there as well you know the drill check it out man like what the fuck they're all good podcasts too like if you like this one you're gonna love all those better i mean so do yourself a favor go listen um but yeah or you can find this at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com, which if you, any of you have frequent in, frequented the uh, website recently, there's a movie review on there I did. Plus I did a uh, sort of like a commentary on why we don't need a Black Christmas remake. I'm trying to avoid bitching about remakes week after week. I mean, there's more that were announced this past week, and I'm like, no, don't do it. Don't bitch about them because it seems like it's, becoming my thing right and i don't want it to become my thing so i'm not gonna bitch about it i wrote a piece about remakes and reboots and sequels and whatnot that's on the website as well go check it out um social media social media where everyone is so social and we're so happy and nobody wants to bitch about anything right facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and on twitter WLB podcast underscore zero zero. What a great name. Someone should name their dog zero. Okay. You can email me, email me at what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. And maybe you want to buy a t-shirt. Maybe you want to show off your love for what lurks behind podcast zero. You want the world to know about this podcast. Go on Redbubble, redbubble.com slash people slash podcast number zero. There's some cool t-shirts there. I'm actually going to be creating some new designs soon. Uh, I actually have been kind of thinking of ideas and whatnot. So there will be some new designs and I will promote them obviously through social media and whatnot. But yeah, go buy a shirt. I don't make money off them. So, hey, you know, do what you got to do. You know, show your love and support for this great show. This great show that next episode. Oh, look at that. Next episode. Okay, so next episode is a listener request. A listener request for uh, a listener, Aaron Lucier. God. My own friends, I can't even pronounce their last names. What the fuck is wrong with me? Anyways, uh, my friend Aaron, she uh, requested this movie a while back, and I told her I would eventually do it. Uh, I'm somewhat looking forward to this. I got a feeling I'm going to be scared, but no. Um... <laughs> I'm going to be scared because 
The starring role is a very eccentric man who likes to do eccentric things. Uh, he's no longer with us. He is. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, but he's left behind an amazing legacy. The film starring the late David Bowie from 1976, The Man Who Fell to Earth, which coincidentally, ah uh, ha ha, watch this. Watch how I pull this off. Coincidentally, it, the film also stars Candy Clark, Stella's voice in this movie, Star Crash. So see how that all came around full circle? Ha ha ha. And that was completely unintentional too. That just sort of worked out that way. I was like, ooh, fuck, look at that shit, eh? So yeah. Um, yeah, so next episode, The Man Who Fell to Earth. But until then, we're going to close off this week. I Again, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to close off this week with a little synthwave track. I've been like seriously going nuts with synthwave music and, and retro and dark wave and all that sort of shit. Cyberpunk can't get here fast enough. And I totally have to know what they're going to do with this soundtrack. So anyways, we're going to close off this week with a track by synthwave band known as The Undead Audio. The song is called We Own the Night. That's how we're going to close out this week. I hope you all have enjoyed this week's show. Thank you. It's been three years that I've been talking, and I have another three years at least planned ahead. So I hope you'll all stay with me and keep uh, keep lurking with me. You know, keep watching these great movies, these great films, these these cinematic escapes of 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 this shitty reality we live in. Yes, that's how I'm putting it. That's how I'm closing out. Thanks again, guys, and have yourself a wonderful two weeks. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye now.